So let's get into uh, the Word of God here tonight. We come to chapter 22. And, um, you know, we're going to look at some truths we've, we've seen earlier in Exodus and Leviticus. Uh, some new insights to some of these principles that the Lord was putting forth for the nation of Israel. As they were in that covenant with God, the old covenant, which was, again, the foreshadow of the new covenant to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at these various things, we, we see pictures of Jesus uh, in a lot of these things. We also see New Testament applications and so forth in a lot of the uh, principles that God gave them when it came to the uh, ceremonial law that, uh, you know, we have a freedom from uh, in Christ. And tonight as we come to this chapter, we're going to, it's really a chapter that has a lot of stewardship issues of, of, of just managing, um, you know, at the things God has put in put uh, us in charge of uh, in that as well our heart attitude in that in giving and oversight and stewardship as well as uh, it's another chapter that deals with mixing and purity and throughout uh, you know at the, the the scriptures here we're seeing God really calling Israel to be a, a, a holy people set apart for him and uh, so as we see these pictures of that for them absolutely there's New Testament principles for us in our walks with the Lord and, and in our ministries and in Bible study and relationship with Him as well. So uh, let's start here by reading the, the first three chapters. We'll just make our way down through it a little bit at a time and hopefully we'll leave here tonight with some good instruction and teaching and exhortation and encouragement and all those other things. And, and listen, if the Lord even brings correction tonight or rebuke, we, we want to receive that from Him and from the Word of God and absolutely let God's Word uh, be a, a light into our path and a lamp into our feet so here in verse one he says uh, then the lord spoke to moses saying speak to aaron and his sons that they may that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of israel and they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me i am the lord say to them whoever of all your descendants throughout your generation who goes near the holy things which the children of Israel dedicate to the Lord, while he has unclean, uncleanliness upon him, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. So again, he's giving more instruction to the priest when it came to the ministry, when it came to the offering up of sacrifice, and also when it came to the example they were called to set for the people, that the people, again, could learn from them and follow suit. And we've talked a lot about that um, you know, in our studies here in Exodus and Leviticus, we've also seen it in First Thessalonians, that call to those in leadership to follow the Lord. Remember, we've seen that phrase where Paul said, imitate me as I imitate the Lord, so that those people that are being shepherded as they're following, you know what, those in leadership, it's ultimately all of them following the Lord together. It's all of them growing in the Lord together, that they're looking to him and, you know what, that the Lord is, is over, over all this. And what we see here uh, in this instruction is God telling, again, the sons of Aaron, uh, the priesthood, those that would be in charge there of the temple, in charge of the sacrifice, as people would bring those for, for sin offerings. They'd bring it for, you know, Thanksgiving offerings. And we, we looked at all those various sacrifices that were to be brought for the Lord, that in them, offering those up to the Lord... God really wanted to make sure as they were ministering that they weren't coming unclean themselves. That for them to minister to the people, they first needed the Lord to minister to them. And this is what he's saying when he's telling them to separate themselves 
from the holy things in the context here he talks about you know if they have uncleanness upon them from what they've touched or from what they've tasted or what they've done or sin in their hearts they need to deal with that before they can go and properly minister to uh you know on behalf of the people to the lord and you know it intercede on their behalf with the sacrifices and such they would bring unto the lord out of worship and for their sin and so forth and really what he's stressing here again is not to mix that which is sinful and unclean with that which is holy and upright and sacred and again for them there was a spiritual side of this there was a physical side of this We've looked at a lot of these laws that were given of what they could not touch and taste and so forth. In this uh, instance, he talks specifically, uh, actually in this chapter, about, again, touching a, a dead body uh, along those lines. They would be impure at that point. They would need to be separated from the camp. They would need to wash themselves to be able to then go and minister. And if they didn't do that, they had to understand that if that which was holy touched what was unholy it wouldn't make the unholy thing holy uh, but instead that which was unholy would taint that which is holy that which is set apart uh, later on and it's several hundred years later when the lord uh, is dealing with israel for the rebellion uh, and chastising them uh, on the day of the prophet haggai and this is after you know if you're familiar with the timeline after judah would be taken into exile and they'd come back into the land and there's a lot of issues uh this this same issue is addressed and and we'll make an application here to our lives uh into the ministries god called us to in a second but in haggai chapter 2 verse 10 he says on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of darius the word of the lord came by haggai the prophet saying thus says the lord of hosts now ask the priest concerning the law saying if one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment with the edge and he uh, and touches new bread or stew wine or oil or any food will it become holy then the priest answered and said no and Haggai said if one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these things will it be unclean so the priest answered and said it shall be unclean then Haggai answered and said so is this people so is this nation before me says the Lord and so is every work of their hands what they offer there is unclean so they were walking in rebellion they were walking in uncleanliness they were doing this spiritually they were also doing a lot of things practically that the lord had told them not to do that they needed to ceremonially wash themselves or take care of the issue spiritually and the idea that they got was hey we're doing some holy things over here so as long as we're doing these things prescribed by god these things that we're doing in rebellion against god are made holy because of what we're doing over here and he's telling them that's not the case this sin over here is not made holy by the things that you're doing that are upright but actually the opposite is happening and these great compromises you have over here they're affecting what you're trying to do unto the lord or you're claiming is holy it's the opposite of what you think is going on and i think there's a real truth here for us I think that we can get into that place where, again, there's certain things we do in our life that God's called us to. Um, it can even be coming out to Wednesday night Bible study or Sunday morning or fellowship or, you know what, you, 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 you spend your time and your daily bread in the morning. You know, you have a, a, you know, you pray on the way to work and God's called us to that and those are all good things. 
But I think we can fall in the place where, okay, because I'm doing this, it's okay that I practice and walk in these things over here that God has called me to repent from and turn from. And what I do over here actually negates this over here. And because I'm doing this over here that's upright, it makes this over here okay. And the truth of the matter is actually the compromises over here. And again, we always, I always try to put it out. Difference between wrestling with something and making provision for something and really what happens when you're making provision for that sin and walking in that rebellion it is actually tainting what's going on over here because if it's like i got a good prayer life and i worship the lord on the way to work but then i'm making provision to maybe look at porn throughout the day and you know what i've hardened my heart to the fact i'm sinning against god i'm sinning against my spouse i'm sinning against my own body um that is going to taint that worship over here because now that worship is not coming out of a yielded heart to the Lord. It's not coming out of the heart of even since someone's saying, Lord, I got an issue over here. Forgive me. Help me with this. I want to grow in you and I'm drawing near to you asking for your help to help me with this issue. Instead, you're over here giving God lip service and thinking, hey, because I worship the Lord on the way to work or on Sunday morning, that makes this over here okay. And I think there's a lot of people they get that mindset i think that happens in the ministry a lot i think that happens um can happen very easily uh in doctrinal issues and so forth where hey because we're teaching this truth over here it's okay that we let false doctrine in you know in these other ways as long as we're teaching truth in the pulpit it's okay if we flood our bookstore with books that have new age concepts because they're popular because what we're doing over here negates that over there and it's just not the case. Uh, leaven is going to affect the whole lump. In fact, just a little bit of it will. First uh, Corinthians 5, 6. Uh, again, we know there in Corinth, there was provision being made for sexual immorality. It wasn't someone struggling with sexual immorality. And let's face the facts. There's a lot of people that str- struggle with sexual immorality. We live in a very sensual culture. It wasn't someone that said, listen, I'm doing something here. I shouldn't be doing I've been doing it since I was 12 years old and I've come to Christ asking him to forgive me and now I want to practically get delivered from this listen that's what the church is for amen a a hospital a place where we can come in and grow together instead and it's just just Paul even said it's just gross what was going on Uh, again the 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 guy was fornicating with his husband's wife remember Paul said what's going on here the world doesn't even do this it's so perverse but they were allowing it and they were allowing it on the premise of look how gracious we are boy we're gracers the grace of god and paul said to him your glorying is not good you think that because you're doing a lot of good things over here and there were a lot of good things going on in corinth and they did have an understanding of the grace of god and when you come to christ you're not under the law but now you're under a grace but that grace is there that liberty so now that we're free from the bondage of sin not to go back under sin and instead of dealing with that issue and purging it out they were saying because we're doing these things over here it's in effect making this okay over here and this is where paul tells them as the holy spirit moved him in first corinthians 5 6 your glorying is not good do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you are truly since you truly are unleavened 
For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let's keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread, notice here, of sincerity and truth, being real with God, walking in truth. And we're not walking in truth if we're on one hand worshiping God and praising God, and then over here making provision for sin, walking in rebellion, maybe being a shady uh, businessman, um, you know, uh, a, a gossip, someone that's pilfering from the till, whatever it is, and then again saying, because I do this, it negates this over here, and God's going to look past that. No, what's going on here is going to affect your heart. It's going to affect your home. It's going to affect a church. And, and this is with practical things. This is also with doctrinal issues. And um, we know one of the marks of that end-time church, and, and we talk about this a lot because it comes up in Scripture a lot. It's, you know what? It, it is that church of Laodicea. And taught on this many times, Laodicea, it, 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 it means man's opinion. And we're familiar with the verbiage there, and I'll just read it, Revelation 3.15. You know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And again, they're not hot or cold, but instead they've mixed hot and cold together. Laodicea, a man's opinion. They've mixed man's opinion with the word of God. And notice verse 17, it says, Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do you not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blacked, uh, blind, and naked? They were standing on what they said, Versus what God's word said about them if they would really honestly evaluate their life in light of the living word of God. And if they were to do that, this was a church that Jesus was on the outside knocking, saying, guys, let me in. that, That implies it's a church where Jesus Christ and his word was not even being proclaimed or is not being proclaimed. Again, as most believe this is the end times church. But instead of opening up the word of God and saying, Lord, shine your light on me so the impurities can get out of here so we could abound in you, they're saying, hey, but we see over here, we're, we're okay. We're rich, we have much of, of, of everything, and because we say this, we're okay actually in mixing our opinion with God's word because there's a little bit of God's word there, so it's all good. It's easy to fall into these types of compromises. I saw a classic example of this this week. Um, uh, uh, Breitbart News had it and they took it from somewhere else Jimmy Carter probably one of the worst presidents in the history of our country uh, if, if, I mean definitely bottom three um, I remember when the guy ran I was a little kid and they were saying he's a Christian and I don't know I was just as a kid I looked at this guy and I thought there's something off with this dude I, I don't know I mean, maybe it was just because I was you know, the accent threw me off or something. I never heard someone from the South. I don't know what it was. Um, you know, and he ran on, a, on a, a, a ticket with a lot of principles that were unbiblical but claimed to be a Christian. I know a lot of Christians voted for him and regretted it later. But even to this day, he still takes a stance that he's a born-again Christian. And ultimately, I don't know the guy's heart. Uh, the Lord knows that, but I know his doctrine. And his doctrine is not biblical. It is not Christian. It is not loving. Because this week he was interviewed and he's been pressed on this stuff before. And they asked him in particular about gay marriage, which is unbiblical. God created one man and one woman to come together in holy matrimony. They also asked him about the issue of abortion. 
And I don't have the exact quote, but basically, to nutshell it, he basically said, well, I don't have a scripture verse for it, but I believe anyone in a loving relationship would be blessed by God. And it's like, just because you say that does not make it right, because God says that that is wrong and it needs to be repented of. And when God says something is wrong and needs to be repented of, it is not to the detriment of the people that he is calling to do that. It is for their good. It is so they can be washed. They can be purified spiritually and positionally. And then the Lord can begin to do a work in them practically. But here's this guy saying this because I say, and we're supposed to listen to that? Oh, because you were a president? Oh, we got to bow down because you said that? But here he is mixing error with truth. And you see examples of it just on and on and on. I think ultimately, though, listen, it starts in our own heart. And you can see examples of this everywhere. But let me ask you, what's going on in your own life? Are you trying, are you making excuse and provision for what is unholy and what God has called you to repent from because you say, but I'm doing this over here. Really what's happening is that is going to affect this over here. And listen, God loves you enough if you're his child if you put your trust in him, he, he, he's going to take that to the woodshed. There's going to be consequences in it. And boy, that, that mixing, it just, just nothing good comes out of it. And that's why even he was telling them to deal with it. He says, that person's going to be cut off from my presence. This is going to have an effect on your fellowship with the Lord. If you've ever been there before, and we probably all have, we're even making provision for sin. We're not bringing it to God. It affects your relationship with the Lord, doesn't it? And I know some people for a while cruise and they think, well, no, it's all good, but eventually it will manifest itself and you'll see it. And so just laying it before the Lord. And listen, we all have issues, we all have struggles, but let's not justify it. Let's not make provision for it. Let's bring it before the Lord. And you're like, I, I, I don't think I can. Then start asking for the Lord to help you, to give you that measure of faith, to come and lay it down. Listen, honesty is, is, a, is a mark of humility before God Almighty. Now, notice verse 4. I'll read down to verse 8. He says, Whatever man of the descendants of Aaron who is a leper or has a discharge shall not eat the holy offering until he is clean. Whoever touches anything made unclean by a corpse or a man who has an emission of semen, or whoever touches any creeping thing by which he would be made unclean or any person by whom he would become unclean whatever his uncleanness may be that person who has touched uh, any such thing shall be unclean until evening and shall not eat the holy offerings unless he uh, washes his body with water and when the sun goes down he shall be clean and afterward he may eat the holy offerings because it is his food whatever dies naturally or is torn by beast he shall not eat to defile himself with it. I am the Lord. So again, now we see specifics uh, listed here, uh, things that would make them unclean, where they would need to go deal with it before they could go deal with the holy things. You look at someone who's a leper, obviously that was a condition. They could not enter into, you know, eat of the holy things and participate and worship there in the temple until they were made clean we've talked about leprosy several times and it seems that in that old covenant if there was an israelite with leprosy it was the result of a spiritual issue 
all the examples of it that we see, it is because of a spiritual issue. That's not to say that if someone's sick today, it's because of a spiritual issue. It, it could be, but it's not always the case. But it seems with the case of Israel, we know Miriam, when she was struck with leprosy, it's because she was in rebellion against God. She was questioning the authority that God had given to Moses. Remember, her and Aaron both were. And then God struck her with leprosy and it was when she humbled her heart that you know what he says well she's going to have it for seven days and that's that's a rugged chapter because um then the lord said if her dad would have spit in her face more she wouldn't have done this and you're like dang that's just raw and it's not the lord promoting you spitting in your kid's face so don't take that out of context you know we got a new form of punishment come here junior (laughs) you know but what it was saying is if if she would have maybe had a little more respect for authority, this wouldn't have happened. And listen, that's in the midst of someone who is a wonderful, incredible woman of God in the scriptures. I mean, if you're, you're going to make a top 10 of the ladies, Miriam probably got a place there. But that's one thing I love about the scriptures. You know it was penned by God because if men penned it, all these guys would just look like incredible you know, people. But you see all the skeletons, right? Because it shows how much they need Jesus because it centers around the Lord and what he's done for us. But there in Israel, there's another point where one of the kings uh, gets leprosy because he is in the temple when he's not supposed to be there. Um, Ultimately, for them to be able to enter into that, again, uh, place of cleanliness, they would have to repent. They'd have to turn to the Lord. And... um, you know, it's a picture of us outside of Christ before we come to him. We have leprosy. We have spiritual sin. And we need to be clean. We need to be washed to be able to enter into heaven, enter into relationship. And there's only one thing that can wash you. And it's not physical water, which again was part of their ceremonial cleaning. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the work of the cross. We're in our sin, our rebellion. But when we come to him and, and confess our sin, praise God, we're washed by him we're covered by him and we can know that we know because of what he has done for us i can fellowship with the lord and i'm in right standing with him positionally practically though again we we come to this often and and i think it's it's an easy way for us to understand it um these guys these priests that did not have leprosy um you know they were about their daily business but in the course of that you know what, they, they may have even brushed up against something unclean. And there was a practical side of this. The Lord understood if people are handling dead bodies and they come back into the camp, there might be the reason that person's dead might be because they got a disease and God did not want that to spread. We know the spiritual side of this is, again, that leaven spreads. And, and we need to deal with it. It could also be out of rebellion they were doing things and didn't care and that was part of the issue there in the day of Haggai but practically again when there's things in our life as we go back to maybe those things we're even making provision for and you're like well how do I deal that deal with that you got to get it washed and these practical things that would defile them had to be dealt with practically they'd be out of the camp that day and then they would need to wash themselves with water and specifically it would be running water and once they were washed now they were clean and able to come back into the camp and come into fellowship and there's just times again when uh, we get involved in things and it hinders our walk with the lord and sometimes we know it while we're doing it, and other times we realize afterwards and it's like well what do i do 
You know, and how do I get this right with the Lord practically? I, again, I know that I'm saved by His grace through faith, but how do I deal with this? How do I deal with these things I've been making provision for? What step do I take? And we looked at the verse on Sunday, and it's a glorious one. Uh, probably one of my most favorite verses in the Bible, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And I love this, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. So for them, it was a matter of acknowledging the uncleanliness, getting out of the camp, washing, and now they could enter back into that fellowship. It's the same for us, laying it before the Lord. And the beautiful thing is through faith in Christ, we can come boldly before him to say, Lord, I do need your help. I do need to be washed. I've been running my mouth talking about people gossiping. I acknowledge that it's wrong. I don't want to do that. Lord, forgive me for that. And I can come boldly even when the enemy says, well, you better not bring that to God. He's angry with you. No, Jesus shed his blood so I can come before him and I can enter in to obtain help in my time of need. Amen? Amen. Now notice verse 9. And I don't want to break down all the specific things in that. We've, we've looked at those things previously. Verse 9, he says, uh, They shall therefore keep my ordinances, lest they bear sin for it, and die thereby, thereby if they profane it, I, the Lord, shall sanctify them. So again, the Lord is putting this in place. He's saying, you need to deal with this, but if you don't, there's going to be long-term consequences. And they had already seen this. Remember Nadab and Abihu, uh, Aaron's sons, had gone in and brought strange fire there to the sacrifice. And the Lord struck him down dead. It was right at the beginning when all this stuff uh, began to be put into play. And God did that in part to put a fear of God in the people, to understand He's holy. There's going to be consequences if we want to bring in rebellion, if we want to willfully walk in that. So this is a, a warning on one hand. Um, if, they, if they bear their sin, they're going to die because of it. Uh, if they profane the things of the Lord. Uh, but the beautiful thing for us is that Jesus has bore our sin. And um, praise God. Again, we can rest in that. And now let's walk in that liberty, bringing things practically before him and casting him at his feet because there are consequences, again, when we willfully walk in what we want to do. And, and listen, we're all a work of progress. Uh, and God is so gracious and merciful to us in the whole course of it, is he not? Verse 10, he says, No outsider shall eat the holy offering, one who dwells with the priest, or a hired servant shall not eat the holy thing, but the, priest buys, uh, but the priest buys a person with his money, he may eat it. The one who is born in his house may eat it. If the priest's daughter is married to an outsider, she may not eat of the holy offerings. But if the priest's daughter is a widow or divorce and has no child uh, and has returned to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat her father's food but no outsider shall eat it and at first glance this just looks like okay well, that's for the priest but there's there's some real truths here uh, that we need to consider especially when it comes to the ministry especially when it comes to those who um god provides their livelihood from the ministry and that's that's something biblical actually sunday we're going to talk a little bit about that um and the fact Paul refrained from it, even though he could, and he gives them this charge to work and so forth, and he was trying to set an example in his tent making. Um, what this is saying here is that the priest had a responsibility to appropriate the resources uh, in a manner 
that was upright and in a manner that was not abusive of his position. Remember, again, all those sacrifices that were brought to the temple weren't just wasted. They weren't just sacrificing beasts for their sins, which, again, never took away their sin. It was an act of faith in Jesus who would come, who would fulfill that. But it was, there wasn't stacks of carcasses around. That food was taken, and it was eaten. Those grain offerings, that was to provide the livelihood in part for the priest. It was for their family. It was for them and for their family and those that were part of their household. And what's being said here, if they're part of your household, if it's a servant who's part of your household, if it is your daughter who's part of your household, then they may eat of those things. But if it's just some individual, a hired servant who's not part of your household, or if your wife gets married, she's part of her husband's household now. And you can't take those things now and feed them with them that food's not for them. Those sacrifices being brought forth, it's not for your hired servant. You got to pay for their food out of your own pocket if you want to do that. And absolutely, your wife's got a husband now. He needs to provide for that. And if he's not, dude needs to go get a job because it's an abuse. It's an abuse of the resources of the Lord. And it was a call to accountability for the priest. And it's very, very easy to get in a place of leadership and to abuse the resources of the Lord and then to make justifications for it, to get to the point where you even think that because you are where you are, you deserve it. Um, Others get to these places where they see, well, no one will see, and so I can get away with it. Because a lot of times there's a lack of transparency when it comes to ministry and church finances and so forth. And this is a real call to pastors and elders and those in leadership to handle the resources of God with the fear of God. I mean, we try to, as a fellowship, make our books open to those who tithe here. If you tithe to this church, uh, you know what? If, if you consider this your home church, you tithe, you give offerings, you can look at those books whenever you want. We do an audit at the end of every year so that all the monies that come through here are accounted for. And my hope is always, and, and, and some people have asked to see those over here, and I take no offense of it. I'm, I'm fine with that. People have asked for different reasons. Some people have asked, they said, I just want to see what I need to pray for, like where, where needs are and so forth. And I'm good with numbers. We'll go ahead and see it. But um, um, we, we try to keep all that, that, that open so it can be seen. And listen, um, I've seen gross abuses of this over the year, and I think we all have. I know uh, in Calvary Chapel, who we disaffiliated from a number, number of years ago, it was in part because, and, and any, any church leadership structure can be abused. It can be an elder-ran church, and if you got 10 corrupt elders, there's going to be some corruption. It can be a pastoral-led church, like in that uh, church government is called the Moses model. So the pastor makes all the decisions. A lot of these guys don't even get counsel. And then you can even have, which I think is unbiblical, a congregational where everyone votes on everything. Um, it's not that people should not have a say in things, but I don't, I don't really see that scriptural. But if you've got a corrupt congregation, it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect things, right? And so people can argue what's the best church structure, the church government. You make arguments for different ones. The bottom line is whoever's leading better be submitted to the Lord or there's going to be problems. And whoever's leading is going to give an account to God so they better have a fear of the living God in their heart. 
I just saw so many gross abuses, though, in that, that particular uh, church model. And then when you're going to conferences, and when it's coming through some of the teaching in a roundabout way, kind of reinforcing you can do what you want when you want to do it, and you start realizing it, hopefully you got a fear of God to say, I'm going to get out of this. Because I've seen things like, Pastors with a cologne and desire clo- uh, designer clothing account that a lot of congregation didn't know about. Plastic surgery for their wife's account the congregation didn't know about. Vacation homes that the pastors and leaders own from the ties the congregation knows nothing about. Funding of gross debauchery, everything from drugs to prostitutes that the church does not know about. I hope if they knew about that one, it would be really, you know, a red alarm. And, and this has been in other forms as well. I, I see firsthand lying about reimbursements, masking them to be something that they're not, to make it like it was something for ministry when really it was a personal need. And um, man, if you're going to lead, you better have a fear of God in your heart. And that's what he's saying here. Listen, those resources are for this. They are not for that. And if you're going to spend it on that, there's going to be ramifications. And then you can take this to a whole nother level. Listen, when you see pastors, when you see ministers, when you see people prompting themselves up as Christian spiritual leaders that are living in 10,000 square foot mansions that are driving Bentleys and Jets and they've made that money from the tithes and offerings of people, that is a gross abuser of God's resources. Yes, he who rightly divides the word is worthy of double honor, but that's a little more than double. And again, a lot of these guys will begin to convince themselves they're worthy of double honor. And if you start doing that, you aren't worthy of any, any honor. That is dishonorable. So we got to move with the fear of God. And it's an encouragement as well to pray for those in leadership that they'll have that fear of God. Um. In Deuteronomy, there's a warning to the kings that the Lord knew eventually they would have in Israel. They they weren't to multiply horses for themselves. They were not to multiply wives for themselves. And they were not to greatly multiply gold and silver for themselves. Lest they get led astray. Lest they go after those things. And it's easy to get into a place, especially when people trust you. It's easy to begin to abuse those people. To take advantage of those people. Uh, people get blinded listen there's a lot of church ministry it's a cult of personality people are following a personality especially in a celebrity celebrity uh, driven culture and and people get blinded and and it's just it just again some of it happens being justified and not knowing other uh, deliberate bottom line is that we need to try to strive to have transparency and absolutely pray for those that god has put in your life to, to lead you in the things of God because there's been a lot of even well-intended individuals that just through a course of compromise or whatever or maybe they're hurt and then they feel justified in it, they start fudging the books. I've seen it firsthand even in my own family. I, an uncle of mine, the gross abuses and mega churches he pastored and affairs and stealing money. And I've shared it before. He ended up taking his own life. He embezzled. He stole a million dollars from the church he was pastoring from individuals and um 
it finally, all his actions finally got caught up to him and it was on the front page of several of the large Bay Area newspapers. And instead of surrendering and just repenting, he, he went into his driveway in, in his probably $100,000 car at the time and put a gun in his mouth and, and, and ended it while having two of his children on staff and, and, and grandchildren. And I'll tell you, man, the fallout has been Horrific. Just utterly horrific. And it started from these principles here not being followed. From, from stealing from the people and justifying it because everyone thinks I'm so great. <laughs> and you talk about a guy who could command a room, man. It was like King Saul walked in when this guy showed up. You know, those people that smile and you hear, ting, because like <laughs> their teeth just could command a room. But... um Again, you know it's problematic when it's like every sermon I've ever heard this guy preach is about money. And now you should give your money to him. You think that'd be real simple, right? But there's these people that just prey on the body of Christ. And, and it's like the world even sees this and says, what's wrong with these stupid Christians? <laughs> Anyhow, I, I digress. <laughs> Verse 14, now I got to hurry up. I need to digress and hurry up. <laughs> and if a man eats the holy offerings unintentionally, then he shall restore a holy offering to the priest and add one-fifth to it. Uh, they shall not profane the holy offerings of the children of Israel, which they offer to the Lord, or allow them to bear the guilt of a trespass when they eat their holy offering, for I, the Lord, sanctify them. So it's basically saying, listen, if they make a mistake, just simply make it right. Oh, man, listen, my daughter's got a husband. She came over. She ate of the things she shouldn't have. My bad shouldn't have happened. Sometimes happen, right? Anyone here ever make a mistake? Confess it. But while you're doing it, tack on a 20%. So it will help you not to do it again. Add a fifth to it. But don't continue on in it lest you bear the guilt of the Lord when you're bringing an offer sacrifice for the people. It's so much easier to humbly heart and say, I was wrong. Listen, I made, I've made a lot of mistakes. I want to learn from those mistakes. We've got to be able willing to do that. And I'll tell you, if, you know what? The, the, the more you step out of faith, the more opportunity you're going to have to make those mistakes. Uh, I think it's what we do once we make them. Verse 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel and say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel... Or of the stranger in Israel who offers a sacrifice for any of his vows or for any of his freewill offerings, which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering, you shall offer your own freewill offering with a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, and from the goats. So he basically says, if you bring an offering, we've looked at this, it needs to be without blemish. Pointing to Jesus. A lamb of God without spot or blemish, without sin, lay down his life for us. Verse 20, though, he says, whoever has a defect, you shall not offer it, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or freewill offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eskima or scabs, these shall not offer to the Lord, nor make any offering by fire of them on the altar of the Lord, either a bull or a lamb. 
that has any limb too long or too short, you may offer as a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. So basically saying if you're going to bring a freewill offering, make sure it's a genuine sacrifice. Not, oh, we got this scabby cow over here. Hey, take it down to, uh, you know, the offering over here. That's not a sacrifice. That's kind of like giving the Lord the leftovers or the disregarded when all of that's a gift from God. Again, we get the charge in the New Testament. Some people say, well, you know, this, this idea of giving and giving of our fruits, that's not a New Testament concept. I think you probably can argue a set tithe 10% may not be. Some people should be given way more than 10%. And then, then the conversation kind of gets shut down with a lot of folks. But Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, said in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. What's the context? It's material things. Well, I seek the Lord this and that and the other, but boy, not in my money. That's mine. You're not seeking the kingdom of God then. And don't think this over here is going to make that right. That's going to affect this over here. Going back to what we looked at early on. You like that, right? That's my new move. You, won't, you probably won't see that one again. <laughs> Bottom line, the Lord said, listen, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Luke twenty two thirty four, And if our heart just is to give God our seconds and our leftovers, if we're doing that, it, he says to examine your heart. Well, I feel like I'm not doing that. Do a real examination. You know, what, 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 where's your treasure at? That's for them. You know, where's your treasure? Do you give God all the, all the sacrifice with, Eskimo, uh, you know, uh, scabs and ulcers and whatnot? On top of that, the priest had to eat that. I don't think they wanted to eat a scabby goat. So that's the wonderful thing about God's word. It's layered. It's just layered. There's so many things that people stand for. It just, we want to do this, you know, a lot of, a lot of ideas. And it's like, you haven't thought about the next step in this, have you? It falls apart. Even the idea of immorality. It's okay as long as no one's hurting anybody. That hurts everybody because you're destroying the family in a culture which a culture is supposed to be in part built on. But with God's word and truth, it's always the opposite. It's layered. It makes sense as you begin to go. Yeah, not only is it a reflection of your heart. Again, the priest don't want to eat that. Verse 24. You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land, nor from the foreigner's hand shall you offer any of these as a bread of your God, because their corruption is in them and defects are in them. They shall not be accepted on your behalf. And really it's the Lord saying, I don't want dirty money. I don't want an offering brought from an unbeliever and you taking that because it came to you easy to offer it to the Lord. And I've said it and I've said it before. If you win the lotto, do not tie it to this church. It's a form of thievery because you're winning that money off other people's addictions. God told you to go to work to earn your money. If you are tithing because you slang heroin, do not tithe that money. If you are tithing because you swindle your clients, do not tie that money here. If you cheat your employees, oh, in the name of Jesus, do not tie that money here. Don't want that money here. That's what he's saying here. From a foreigner's hand, there's corruption in them. 
These are corrupt things. God will always provide. Verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when a bull or a sheep or a goat is born, someone's like, man, I got scratchers in my purse right now. <laughs> it shall be seven days with its mother. And th- this is, this is, this is, there's a, this is pretty awesome right here. Uh, so quit, that's not thinking about the scratchers. Sorry. <laughs> when a bull or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall be seven days with its mother. And from the eighth day and therefore thereafter it shall be accepted as an offering made by fire to the Lord whether it's a cow or a new uh, do not kill both her and her young on the same day and you're like well, what's up with this listen this is the Lord wanting them to be both practical and compassionate concerning their animals if a baby is born that day that it's born if you're going to drag that baby up to the temple to bring it as an offering before the Lord it probably is not going to make that trek it probably needs a minimum, again, of, of seven or eight days uh, for it to be, be able to get its legs to make that track. The other side of this is that that mother gives birth to that baby that's been growing in its womb forever long it's been in there, and that baby is immediately stripped from that mother. That's going to send that beast into shock, and that is an abusive thing to do. And Proverbs 12, 10 says, A righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. And God did not want them to be cruel to these beasts, even though he had a prescribed system of them offering up them to sacrifice. And foolish individuals look at this and say, Oh boy, you know, what a, what a horrific God. All this death. Death came with man's sin. This was a picture of we deserve to die for our sins. We need someone to die for us. And again, there was good stewardship required for all of these sacrifices. None of it was wasted. And in the midst of this, God wanted them to have a heart for these animals. Flip side of this, if you put your beast above your families, you are a fool. And there's a lot of people who do that today. I know families that have been homeless because they cannot find somewhere to rent because they're like, dogs can't come and live here. Well, then I'll be homeless with my kids. You got to find Rover a new home when it comes down to that because now all of a sudden rover's not a blessing he's a stone cold idol that you're carrying around with you to or fro you'll survive without him verse 29 and when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the lord offer it uh, offer your own uh, sorry offer it of your own free will on the same day it shall be eaten you shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. So again, if you offer a, an offering, a Thanksgiving offering, offer it of your free will. You don't begrudgingly offer a free will offering to the Lord. Who are you fooling in that? It goes back to 2 Corinthians 9. God loves a cheerful giver. And so it's Thanksgiving. Offer it with Thanksgiving of your free will. If you offer it begrudgingly, it's going to taint the offering. And again, Offering it begrudgingly is going to spoil the offering versus saying, yeah, I'm begrudgingly giving it, uh, but I'm giving it, so that negates me giving it with a begrudgingly, uh, begrudgingly heart. Begrudging heart. Is that the right word? So again, you see the concept carried through it. And then he says, eat it that day. Listen, they didn't have refrigerators. Eat it that day. It's going to spoil. 
you know what, let's not live on yesterday's worship. Let's, let's, on yesterday's Thanksgiving, let's praise him every day, amen. And then finally in verse 31, therefore you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. So again, it's a charge to the priest to properly represent the Lord that he has hallowed amongst the people. And if those in leadership do not hallow the Lord, if they don't have a fear of God, if they don't have reverence for the Lord, then most likely those people that are under the ministry are not going to have it either. And what was the downfall of Israel to Judah in those periods of great apostasy is because the priest and the kings and the prophets did not have a fear of the living God. And the people followed suit. And then he reminds them at the end, you know what, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery into freedom. So again, all of these things, these things are not to put us into bondage. These things liberate. Walking with the Lord is so much better. But again, we have a tempter who tempts us. We got a flesh nature that fights against our soul. And praise God, we have a God who is long-suffering towards us. Heavenly Father, we bless you tonight. We praise you. Lord, we thank you for this chapter. Lord, oh God, grant us grace and mercy, God, to apply and walk in these truths, Lord. And Lord, if there are just, just things in our life, uh, leaven, Lord, that needs to be dealt with, I, I would hope and pray, God, that we could lay that down before you tonight. Um, Lord, any in that place, I would hope at the minimum they would begin to, to bring uh, the fact that leaven's there and they're holding on to it to you, God. And, and, and be honest and truthful with, it, with you, hidden God. Lord, bring us to that place where we hate what you hate and we love what you love. Because God, we know our flesh uh, loves what you hate and hates what you love. And so help us, God. We need your aid and we need your help every single day. Oh Lord, grant us grace and mercy. As we look at this, not it, let's not even look at it and say, well, well God, we're not, that's not us. Boy, that's a foolish way of looking at this. Uh, this is us outside of you. We need your help, God. So help us even tonight. And listen, if you're here tonight, you haven't called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in that place of spiritual leprosy in your sin. But Jesus Christ wants to wash you and cleanse you. And the Bible makes it very clear in multiple places, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and that is implying that you turn from what your Lord is. It's repenting of sin. And asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to govern your life, to be your God. It's recognizing his death and resurrection and the salvation he has made uh, available to you. Listen, call on him tonight if that's you. He will meet you where you are at. And Lord, any in that place, Lord, just uh, draw them to you, God. Again, bless the rest of our night. We thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And we said, amen. God bless you.